Hi, friends. Join us as we dive into the themes, metaphors, and foreshadowing of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. We are your hosts, Leah, Sarah, Tabby, and whether you're a new viewer or a longtime fan, welcome to Becoming Buffy. Hey guys, welcome back to Becoming Buffy. Today we are on season four, episode 13, The Eye in Team. And it's so funny because it's usually around the 13th or the 14th episode that we have the twist of the season um, that happened in season two with Angel turning into Angelus. And then in season three with Faith being revealed as in cahoots with the mayor or, you know, her evil storyline. But I was like, wow, this is happening really late in the season. And then I checked and I was like, we're only on episode 13. And I I know we're already on the 13th episode, but it feels like we're crawling through this season. Is it just me or do you guys feel that way? The season's brutal. (laughs) I I like, I don't want to bash certain like seasons and episodes and stuff because like it could be someone's favorite. And if it is, holy Lord Almighty, more power to you. It's okay. Yeah. But it's just like this season just sucks. Like <laughs> it's so slow. The storylines are awful. Like every single storyline, I'm like, I hate this. Oz leaving, hate it. Uh, Riley, hate it. Forrest, hate it. Uh, Walsh, hate story it. Storyline. Forrest is <laughs> storyline. Like Giles being in a weird place, hate it. The only storyline I kind of like is just Xander, like kind of fumbling a bit. I think that's good for his character. <laughs> Like, no, but I just genuinely think it's good for his character. Everything else, I'm like, I, uh, I'm either bored or I don't like it. Like, Willow, I'm just bored with her right now. Like, I mm. I don't dislike her storyline. I don't dislike She's her character. She's not really doing much, yeah. It's just nothing's happening right now. And then, like, Buffy is just with Riley all the time. So I'm, like, bored. Like, ugh. This episode is just, you know, at least freaking what's-her-face dies. Like, Hallelujah. <laughs> that's it that's the end of our episode leah just recapped everything for this entire this entire 42 minutes so that's all we need to talk about no but for real guys i was watching this episode and it's not a bad episode it's as far as episodes go it's very average and there are, are actually some big things that happen but overall i was like sitting there and i'm just i'm not interested in the initiative i'm not mm-hmm. emotionally attached to riley and what's going on with his storyline even though i i get the sense we're about like we're at a turning point um and riley might get more interesting but and we'll talk about it in a second the whole thing with maggie and all that stuff but yeah i i feel like i feel you the good news is we after this we have a couple of really good episodes and some arcs that have nothing to do with season well the main villain of season four that um, will be popping up. And I'm really excited for that. But uh, yeah, we're on the backside. So at least we're edging towards season five. Hallelujah. All right. So written by David Fury, directed by James A. Contner, it aired February 8th, 2000. Technically, the Ion team is a two-parter. The next episode being Goodbye, Iowa. But you can't figure out what that episode's about. Um, the Ion Team is based on the pun, there's no Ion Team, and it's used to remind players and teammates to work together and not hog the ball. The initiative obviously takes this to an extreme with Maggie Walsh overstepping in her desire for control, and Buffy is ignoring and forgetting her own team in the Scoobies so she can be with Riley. 
Um, And like I mentioned before, this episode had a lot of big things happening in it, yet the pacing in this episode is such that it feels slow in some ways. Like the first, um, I would say like third of the episode, I was genuinely kind of bored. Um, Things started picking up about halfway in, but it once again, I think that they have taken too long to build up the main storyline of this season. And I think a lot of that had to do with kind of what you were talking about earlier, Leah, earlier, Leah, the fact that Oz left, the fact that we had several like big characters leaving or moving on. And I think there was a lot of um, fallout from the previous season that the show really had to kind of address. And so because of it, the big bad kind of got put on the back burner. And the last time we really truly talked about the initiative and stuff was in season seven or episode seven's The Initiative. And that was six whole episodes ago. It's been six episodes since we really talked about the big bad. And that's just too long. And so because of it, we're not really very emotionally invested. I will say the one thing about this season that I remember being like, hmm, didn't see that coming was Maggie Walsh dying. Like, it is because no I, one did anticipate her dying until like an episode before, and they're like, "Oh shoot, we got to shoehorn this in." Right, but I'm just saying, like from from a watcher's standpoint, I remember the first time I watched this and was like, "Wow, <laughs> didn't see that one coming," which is like, you know, they need some surprises in this season because a lot of it just feels very predictable. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. No one is shocked that the initiative is the big bad. Like, we know where this is going. Um, So the AV Club says, as much as I appreciate Whedon's willingness to tear down what he's built just when the audience is getting acclimated, I do feel that he's sometimes wasteful. I'm sure there is more to come with Adam and the initiative, but it would have been nice to have a little more time to settle into a status quo before we were told that nothing is as it seems. There's a lot of good stuff in these episodes, but they still feel abrupt. And I totally resonate with what he's saying because I think that Joss sometimes tries to lean into shock factor so much to the point where it's like, wait, we actually like could have squeezed out some really interesting storylines with these characters and stuff. Um, and that's kind of how I feel about Maggie Walsh. Me personally, I think the biggest, and I know Leah's going to disagree with me, but whatever, the biggest bummer of this season is them killing Maggie Walsh. I don't like Maggie, but I think she makes for a very compelling big bad for Buffy because once she's over the actual big bad for sure. Yeah. Well, okay, emotional impact. Who is the person that has somewhat of an emotional connection with not just Buffy, not just Riley, even Willow, even Giles? Like she kind of touches every single member of the Scooby Gang. And this next big bad, we have no emotional connection to him except for who's the person that has the most emotional connection to Adam, Riley, because they, I say in quotations, share a mother. So that automatically shifts the trajectory of the season from Buffy to Riley. And I think that's a problem. No, I actually agree with you, Sarah. I I think that uh, I don't like Professor Walsh. But I think the original storyline they were going to have with her, like having her be like a dark mentor, kind of like the antithesis to Giles, would have been a really, really interesting take. And we saw bits and pieces of that that were interesting. And we saw kind of that um, tug and pull where Giles goes and talks to Maggie. Um, So we saw like the footsteps of it, I guess. Yeah, the beginnings of it. Right. But it just, you know, obviously there was other things going on. Um, but I just, 
missed opportunity for it sure. It really, it really is. I and so I think that she just because she didn't amount to anything, she just becomes kind of a nuisance in the in the show because she's just an annoying character that dies. Yeah. So funnily enough, Lindsay Krause, who plays Professor Walsh, um, she actually played Amber Benson's, who plays Tara, um, her mother in the film Bye Bye Love. And uh, Amber Benson's character's best friend is played by Eliza Dushku. So what? <laughs> kind of random, but I thought that was really funny. Amber Benson has been a lot of r- odd projects with random Buffy side characters. I was just going to say she was in a movie with um, James Marsters and then was also in that movie with like three random Buffy characters. And um, I actually really did not like the movie. It it was so problematic. Um, <laughs> one was Seth Green and there was like a house oh, party. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. I really wanted to like it and it just – it was – it just sucked. I'm sorry, yeah. Seth Green. I love you, baby. But like that movie was <laughs> not good. Amber Benson seems to pick a lot of passion projects, a lot of more indie projects, um, which I I honestly really admire actors who do yeah. that, that they're not just out to like make a name for themselves, that they actually want to give something back. Um, not that it's bad for an actor to be like, hey, I want to be in the next blockbuster, but I feel like we have – I feel like it's more rare to find an actor who's like, no, I like I have a message I want to send out and stuff. So it's kind of cool. Okay, so let's talk about Maggie Walsh's departure. So there is actually a massive misconception out there, and one that I believed up until I did research for this, that the writers were originally planning for Maggie to be the big bad, and due to like her having to leave or whatever happened, that she was cut out halfway in the episode or halfway in the season, and nobody was prepared for it, so everyone was scrambling, and that's why the second half of season four doesn't maybe resonate as much as the buildup of the first half. That's actually false. Um, Believe it or not, they always knew that Maggie Walsh was going to be killed off halfway through the season. And they always knew. Really? The, yeah, the storyline was always that Adam was going to take over. Can you believe that? I always heard, thought it was the other way around. That's weird. Nope. Yeah. All right. So I'll read a couple quotes. So from Doug Petrie, he says this. It's very much a Frankenstein story, talking about the reveal of Adam, wherein someone creates a monster and then the monster is out of their control. That's what this was. We knew from the beginning that Maggie Walsh was going to be killed by her own creation. Then we got Lindsay Krause, the great Lindsay Krause. This is the episode where sadly she shines the most and this is her her best episode. As often happens, just when things really start cooking, they've got to go. She's one of the bigger names that we've gotten on the show and we know that we had her for a limited time. So there was a practical consideration as well. It's very much in the vein of Frankenstein's monster, and we felt it essential that the first thing the monster do is kill its creator, to hand over the baton, as it were, and give someone else the villain's mantle for season four. Um, And this is where I think the confusion might have also come into play because Joss Whedon says this, a lot of our great shocks come from things that we can't control. We were basically told by Lindsay Krause's agent when they first hired her that she had to be done by Christmas. We knew that was going to be the progression, that she would create Adam and Adam would destroy her, but we weren't sure how it would completely unfold. Given the situation, we decided to do it abruptly, and that charmed the hell out of me. It's always fun to do something a little startling. To an extent, the characters are telling us what they need, and to an extent, the situation dictates what happens. So, um, and then 
Lindsay Krause, who plays Maggie Walsh, says this. She says, I'm very sad to leave this show. When I went to Joss a few weeks ago, a few weeks before they filmed this this episode, she said, Joss, what do you think is going to happen? How are we going to develop this character? He gleefully said, oh, you're going to create a monster and it's going to kill you. You're going to die. It's going to be great. Well, great for you. I love doing the show. And then the interviewer asks her, so you didn't know that from the beginning that this was your fate? And she says, no, I didn't. So Joss knew. She didn't know. Um, and they knew that they only had her until Christmas because she had a movie that she was supposed to be filming in January. So again, this was this was the plan from all along. And it is kind of shocking because I feel like there was so much more they could have done with her. Um, but maybe they knew filming-wise it wouldn't have worked out that she would have been able to squeeze in all the episodes that she needed to. Still, the fact that they had her until Christmas and a majority of the episodes in season four, she's barely in. I feel like they didn't utilize her well. So I don't know that's necessarily her fault. I think that's just a matter of them not planning for things well. So anyway, either way, it's kind of a bummer. All right. So this episode is a nod to Mary Shelley's Frankenstein with the main themes being the pursuit of knowledge, crossing boundaries, revenge, parental responsibility, ambition, and the dangers of alienation and isolation. And that kind of ties into a lot of the themes of this episode. Mark Field talks about how the episode doesn't necessarily paint Buffy as completely in the right. She is the I in team. Buffy has always been highly independent and the show frequently criticizes her working alone. She questions the initiative, which turns out to be a good thing, but in joining them, she abandons her own team. And we kind of get to talk a little bit about that. So, all right. I have a few other things to say, but I'm going to save them for while we're talking in the episode because um, they're pretty interesting. So anything to make the episode more interesting, Sarah. So go for oh, it. Good. Please interrupt. Do my best. Because <laughs> <laughs> otherwise I will feel the intense need to just breeze through this episode. No, there's some, there's some moments I want to talk about for sure. And I'm sure you guys have thoughts about them as well. We started this episode with the gang or at least three of them playing poker. But then like Will is doing magic while playing. Anya is like struggling. And then the whole side storyline of Xander like selling bars was so random to me. I was like, what is this? They don't have any character development for Xander. So they're just showing him doing yeah. random jobs to say, hey, he's still floundering. Okay, that's great. And what else? Are we going to do anything else with him? It just didn't – I don't know. I was like, okay, like this – Really feels like you're just throwing something at his character. Well, so apparently those are real energy bars. Um, I couldn't They're find any sponsored. In- <laughs> yeah, I couldn't find any info on them sponsoring the show, especially because the packaging is different. But who knows? I mean, after Beer Bad, I'll believe anything. They're like really trying to sell it. Although that doesn't make any sense because then like later, like Giles like hates it. So they're really not trying to sell it very well yeah. as an actual sponsor. <laughs> they, they probably didn't get any sponsorships just like with the Beer Bad um, – <laughs> the network like being like yeah we see what you're doing here (laughs) well and then xander talks about how like i love how like whenever buffy's not there they end up just like talking about buffy um (laughs) and riley and then they're so sad i know they're just kind of talking about how like they're not sure about riley they're a little bit suspicious about him and the initiative which is all fair i feel like buffy really hasn't questioned a lot about the initiative even in this episode, she really doesn't. Yeah, I agree. She kind of just jumped in. I think, honestly, Buffy didn't want to question things because she liked the idea of people being able to have her back. Well, she likes the idea of having a boyfriend that fights demons alongside of her, and she doesn't have to hide who she is. But also, I think 
they kind of touch on this in the episode, like this next scene. It's a bit of an ego boost to have a bunch of people appreciate you, like your skills that you've honed that you normally just exemplify in a graveyard by yourself. To have validation from people being like, wow, you're actually good at your job. I mean, who doesn't want that? That's understandable, you know? I don't know. Like uh, having all these people like kind of – I wouldn't want to have to feel like – I have to adjust the way I get things done when there's so many more people coming in. So it's like if we're teaming up, I would hate that. If it would feel too crowded. I'd want to be able to have like my own autonomy with like wanting to fight the vampires or demons how I want. It just feels like it would be a lot of a lot of voices. Well, I don't think Buffy is thinking that though cuz I think she would agree with you Tabs. I think in this moment she's like, "Wow, like I still get to do my own thing, but I'm also have the option to like go help out with a team as well. And I get all this cool gear. I think it's just the, the shiny new thing. And I think that's what they're talking about here because there's a lot of metaphor here as well. Like Willow and Xander are Buffy's medical metaphorical spirit and heart. They're both expressing doubts about things, not necessarily Riley, but with the initiative. And you have Willow who's like, you know, how it is with a spanking new boyfriend. They're comparing her bright, shiny new boyfriend to this bright, shiny new initiative gang like reality. Buffy is not just drawn in by Riley. She's drawn in by all the shiny new toys and the ability to actually be funded. Just like, you know, Spike was saying, he's like, yeah, you know, I always wondered if that bitch would get funded. You know, like this is Buffy being like, wow, I actually have like real power and money. And there's an illusion of I can get more done. I can have more control. I can be more, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Efficient. Um, Efficient. Yes, I could be more efficient. And she's not exactly thinking of this all the way through. I guess maybe that's why the – I don't know. It just feels very like – I just don't really fully believe this episode, if I'm being honest. Like a lot of the storylines that go through, I'm just like, I don't – it doesn't feel like it fits in the show and for the characters at some points. And I really feel like Buffy – not really questioning the initiative doesn't really make sense for her. Like, I don't know. She just kind of like, I feel like she'd be a lot more informed and suspicious and a little bit apprehensive right away when it comes to the initiative. And I don't see any of that from her. Like you don't really see her start to kind of like be like, huh, like Riley doesn't really question things a lot, but it's more of like, Oh, Riley doesn't really question things. It's not like I'm very suspicious of the initiative. I, I disagree because there's that whole moment where Willow mentions something about 314 and then Buffy here is like when her and Riley after they have sex, you know, the whole he's taking his vitamins, he, everything's on a regimen. And then she goes to Maggie Walsh after that and says, hey, I have some questions about things. There's some things that like I'm not clear on. Can we talk about it? And Maggie says, oh, yeah, do this thing first. And then when you come back, we can talk. So I think Buffy, if she had had time, would have gotten there. But like this whole episode is like the span of a day and a half. Like literally from the moment that That's she gets true. accepted into the initiative and to the next day is when Maggie dies. So like – that's not enough time. And that's that's my biggest beef with this episode. It's enough time for Buffy to start having questions, but it's like a, such it a short feels time for like Maggie. A long time for us. Right. Yeah. For Maggie to be like, oh my gosh, like, yes, you can be the initiative. Now I need to kill you. I was that's like, wow, true. Maggie. I thought about that. <laughs> why wouldn't you just kill her yeah. before? Like, why would you take the time to initiate her and then kill well, her? Well, bring like her in too and have her see everything. That's dumb of a commander to do that. Yeah. And the fact that like Buffy just questions says, hey, what's 314? And Maggie's like, oh, she's got to go. I was like, like maybe you could try something else. I don't know. Why? Anyway, we'll talk about <laughs> yeah. it when we get there. 
So we jump into like see like the initiative tracking Buffy. We found out for 45 minutes. That's really good. I mean, like the initiative has like dozens and dozens of people going there. They're trying to find Buffy. It took them 45 minutes in small Sunnydale. I don't know how realistic that is, but <laughs> do you guys do you guys think they used the pheromone heat signature on her? <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> they're like, uh, Riley, here, you can take charge on this one. <laughs> they're like lilac. Lilac one or whatever his like yeah. name is. Go spread your scent, Lilac one. <laughs> I just I was dying because they have like the different like set teams and they're like, all right, the betas go over here and then the alphas. I'm like, oh, this is so like <laughs> to the T. Like I That's, don't know. It's way the, the thing, it's hard to take this seriously as someone who like his hu- my husband's in the military. Like mm. yes, this is there is some truth to this, but a lot of it is just too on the nose. To the point where it just feels like a parody of what actually, yeah, like what the government organizations are actually like, you know? Yeah. And like to Riley's credit, like he seems like not at all threatened and he's actually really excited and like proud of Buffy. He's like, wow, yeah. like it took us 45 minutes. He like was very impressed with her like taking down some of the guys. And like I feel like as a boyfriend who's like on the other side of the initiative, I was very like – pleased with his response because i'm like that's good like he's being supportive like he's like not all threatened in this moment by like her being better than them you know no not all like he's beaming back there like a proud dad (laughs) i will say (laughs) forrest was a butthead this episode he didn't say much his his, like the gram was so sweet he was like awesome buffy like he's being all supportive and then (laughs) forrest is like giving her dirty looks and as he walks by he's like Riley's like, like, or not Riley, like Forrest is like holding onto his back. He's like <laughs> begrudgingly walking ways. He like sore. makes, he's making all these so like extra. hissy noises. He <laughs> just does not like her. Well, Graham's all like got his bros back. I loved it. Graham, I know Graham's, Graham's honestly nice. is the best. Yeah. I'm just honestly happy that Buffy gets to whoop Forrest. Like that just makes me happy. <laughs> For or You know, Forrest is probably salty because Buffy used him as a shield so Riley could tase him. <laughs> oh, for sure. So I have actually something this this might derail the episode slightly but I think it's really fascinating and like I don't know you guys have to let me know what you think about this. So Maggie clearly is threatened in this moment and she comes up and you know she sees Riley and Buffy together and you could tell she's like not comfortable with this and we're at this point we're not really sure why that is. So Mark Field talks about how Buffy joining the initiative is a metaphor for the way the world often works. The woman leaves her own family and goes off to become a member of her man's team. Given this analogy, Maggie would be the jealous mother-in-law who resents Buffy coming into her family and shaking things up and questioning everything. And we have a couple of instances like (laughs) the initiative calls Maggie mother. I think that's her call name. And then, you know, Adam at the very end saying mommy, like there's, there's, Several different like nods to her being the mother. These are her her sons, like the the controlling female mother in law figure. Um, so with the recent Joss Whedon allegations, I watched the show a little bit differently, and I think there is there's something to be said about the Maggie Walsh mother figure and how that plays into the rest of the season. So there's this quote from David Fury who wrote this episode. He says. I don't know if Joss has said this, but Maggie is at least partly inspired by his own mother. His mother was a college professor and she was a very big feminist. Yes, Leah. Leah's giving me like, oh my gosh face. That's mortifying. 
Oh, just wait. It gets so much worse. Very strong-willed. I think she had a huge impact on Joss's life. Certainly the fact that he is an ardent feminist himself. Remember, this was written before 2017. Yes, facepalm. Yes, it is very cringe now. I think his mother can take credit for that, but she was a very strong-willed, very strict woman, but one that Joss respected very much. I believe that Professor Walsh was at least partly inspired by his mother in the sense of being this very good, strong-willed professor that students were scared of. The idea of a mother figure was interesting. She was sort of Riley's mother. She was Adam's mother. When she had scenes with Buffy, it was very much like Buffy was dealing with a mother-in-law character. Joss was very interested in seeing this girl that he presented in high school who struggled to be normal, knowing that she has to rise to the occasion and save the world suddenly, being wholly terrified of this woman and totally intimidated by her. Lindsay did a good job. It was a very tricky character. The whole initiative thing was very tricky. And of course, what she represented allegorically might be the most personal thing about it for Joss. I don't think the rest of us could latch onto it as clearly as he could. There might have been something being worked out there. Which is very interesting given that Maggie gets killed by her own son, by her own creation. Um, so then I dug up the Joss Whedon interview in Vulture from, I think it was last year. Um, and if you have not read that that article, I know a lot of people are very much like, because of how toxic Joss was, they don't want to read anything about him. But whoever wrote this article did a brilliant, brilliant job. And I just want to... Um, Oh, and also we've talked a lot about this with, if you guys haven't listened to it, we did a crossover episode with Prophecy Girls um, over on their podcast. It's The Trial of Joss Whedon. We went on there and we talked a lot about Joss and like our issues with him and how that bleeds into the Buffy fandom. So if you want to know more, like definitely go over there and listen to that. But um, Joss wrote, or Joss gave an interview in Vulture, and whoever wrote this interview and wrote this article did a masterful job because they don't outright call him out. They very much wrote it in such a way that you can come to form your own opinions. But if you read between this, the lines and look at all the subtext, it's very clear to see what kind of a picture this person is trying to paint of Joss Whedon, um, and it's very telling. So. They wrote in the article, Whedon was asked over and over to explain why he wrote stories about strong women. For years, he would answer by talking about his mother. Lee Stearns, who died in 1991, was an activist and unpublished novelist who taught history at an elite private school in the Bronx. One of her students, Jessica Newworth, went on to become a co-founder of Equality Now, an organization that promotes women's rights. Newworth, who has cited Stearns as an inspiration, described her to me as a visionary feminist. In 2006, Equality Now presented Whedon with an award, the irony, at an evening dedicated to honoring men on the front line of feminism. Are just, you joking? I just want to that talk so about how, backwards. how stupid it is that we're giving men awards for being feminists. Uh, it's like just, the bare minimum. That's like, I literally think I've, this is such deja vu, but I literally think I've said the same exact thing where it's like, it's literally like congratulating a grown man for wiping his own butt. No. Like, uh, yeah. Wow. Good job. You did the bare minimum. Like exactly. What the frick you want? A gold star? Yeah. Yes. Congratulations. You believe that women and men are equal. Lee and I are re-watching Parks and Rec, and this just reminds me of the episode where um, they give the uh, Woman of the Year award to Ron Swanson, and then <laughs> oh, yeah. and then he keeps trying to be like, no, I'm giving it to Leslie, and they're like, no, 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 no one really cares when we give it to women, so if we give it to a man, the people will listen, yeah. and like the whole time he's like, he gives it to Leslie, but it just reminds me of that. That is funny, Tabs. That no, That's exactly what's happening here, <laughs> except Joss doesn't have the... Um, the humility 
and the yeah. ability if he was an actual fem- no that I won't go there anyway okay <laughs> there's right. a lot of things he would do if he was that's a whole other thing let's just we'll leave it at that okay but in his speech in his speech Sweden oh, referred to his mother as extraordinary inspirational tough cool and sexy <laughs> What is with this man? I don't understand. It's so weird. And so then in the in the article, Whedon tells the interviewer, she was a remarkable woman and an inspiring person, but sometimes those are hard people to be raised by. He called her capricious and withholding and infers that she frightened him. Basically, it's implied that he wasn't lo- loved enough by her. And I just wrote mommy issues. in, my- <laughs> And that's where this article goes. The article literally starts by talking about Whedon's mom. So I think they're inferring that Whedon has mommy issues, and that's led to a lot of his hatred for women. And I'm sorry. I think Whedon hates women. Really. I truly do believe that. Wow. Outlandish, Shara. I know. I know. Um, the article goes on to say he admired strong women like his mother, yet he discovered he was capable of hurting them. And Whedon says, usually by sleeping with them and ghosting or whatever. He would later tell his biographer this duality gave him an advantage over the girls in his college class on feminism when it came to discussing relations between the sexes. His creation of Buffy came from him wanting to write a story about someone who turned out to be important despite the fact that no one took them seriously. And then Whedon says, it took me a long time to realize that I was writing about me. I'm not writing about girls. I'm not writing about like oh, the fact that there's – no, he's writing about himself through the lens of a woman, which – yeah. He, he goes on and Holy says – Holy bro, just go to therapy. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> So he continues and says, and that my feeling of powerlessness and constant anxiety was at the heart of everything. His avatar was not a fearful young man, however, but a gorgeous girl with extraordinary courage. He wanted to be her and he wanted to fuck her. So, yes, I apologize for bringing all that in, but I think that's really important within the context of this episode because I think there's a lot that's happening with Maggie Walsh that is very much like Joss is writing things, not necessarily for the benefit of the story at this point, but I think because he has major mommy issues. And I think but that also ugh. it's very interesting that the character that he resonates with the most, Sander, is the one who's like obsessed with the main character, Buffy, for seasons. Yeah. Well, Joss has even said that he resonates with Willow. Willow struggles with control, that he resonates with, um, In this episode, it's not hard to see him resonate with Riley and even Adam, two characters who are angry and feel betrayed by their mother figure and stuff. So there's just, I mean, he's a showrunner. He created this show. There's going to be bits of him in all of these characters, but I just find it absolutely disgusting the way that he describes Buffy and yeah. And again, it doesn't have to ruin the way that you view the show because I think, again, there's the divorce of the author, but I think it's super important in trying to understand where the writers were going with this episode to understand that a lot of this is Joss Whedon's own issues. You know, and knowing that now, like, I – the idea of Maggie has always felt very niche to me in understanding, like – like what her purpose really was and like i just like it just didn't translate to me um Mm -hmm. yeah that's all i'm gonna say about that actually because i (laughs) i don't feel like (laughs) i can sit here and go into way more when it comes to that but it's like i just like it it doesn't like how do you say this 
when you want to make a compelling storyline, even if the character that you're talking about isn't going to hit home objectively for every single audience member, you have to find parts of it that will hit home. Like, I'm mm-hmm. not going to relate to, like, like Thanos. I don't know. That's just something I'm talking <laughs> about right now. That's good. But, but what made him so interesting is that there were parts of him that, like, kind of relate to different parts of, like, the ethos and, and like – his mindset about humanity is very interesting that we can grasp sure. and understand and not right. relate to, but just add a morality to it, which is interesting. Not that you agree with it, but it's like you have to have those parts of characters that aren't necessarily going to be the most relatable, but you have to be able to understand it and like attach some morality to it in order for it to be compelling. I just don't have that with Maggie personally. Like, I just don't find her compelling. I just find her extremely niche to people with like this specific type of mommy issues. And like, it just is kind of like meh to me. I think she could have been utilized so much better. It's just unfortunate that the episode that we really kind of get a fuller picture of her, which is this one, is the episode that she leaves for good. I I loved the interaction between her and Giles because, I mean, I hated it, but I loved that it was there. But that was interesting. It was interesting. Yes, totally. I loved the moments where Buffy stood up to her and Maggie was like – Oh, I like her. Like that's really cool. Like we didn't get enough of that. It just suddenly became less about like the interpersonal dynamics of it and more about like mad scientist Maggie. And I think if they had leaned more into that and watched how Buffy, what if Buffy like had a conversation with Maggie? Because I think this would be in this would be so interesting. Had a conversation with Maggie instead of Maggie, Maggie trying to kill her. Maggie actually convinces Buffy that what she's doing is good. And then you now have this massive tug and pull between Giles and Buffy because Giles is already feeling insecure about Maggie kind of taking over that space in Buffy's life that he used to occupy. Riley's taking the space for Xander and Willow. And now you automatically have that fracturing of the gang that they are going towards already. But you have the interesting interpersonal conflict that's going on, not to mention the fact that if Maggie does eventually go full on evil, she's human. Buffy can't kill a human. Yeah. And I so just, it's like – I Okay, and that's such a good point, Sarah, because I feel like if we went in that direction of early Maggie, like that whole storyline could have been fleshed out in a very frustrating but very like organic way. Um, And I feel like it really would have worked. But it's like I feel like we had two different Maggies and then this Maggie that we have right now is like no part of that like intellectual – like slowly undermining like that type of Maggie like as like trying to be like a matriarchal figure for Buffy which would be interesting but then it was like all like the creepy mommy issues with Riley but then also like sexual issues with Riley in this episode and then you're like wait huh like it just like I don't know like it just like the Maggie that you get in the beginning had so much potential and I just feel like they just never had a full grasp on her. And then all of a yeah. sudden they just reared into a whole different direction with her and then just killed her off. And so yeah. now I'm just like, ew, like this whole episode was just weird with her. I agree. Yeah. Anyway, I need to continue so we can t- talk about those specific weird Maggie moments. <laughs> um, and then the next day we see Buffy talking to Willow about last night 
Um, and then they're like going to go to the bronze tonight. Buffy's really excited. And you could tell how much that means to Willow. Like, oh, we get to hang out tonight. I'm so excited. And I just, I love Buffy, but there are certain moments in this episode that kind of bug me. Um, and Buffy's mm. not like a perfect character. It's like these things are bound to happen, especially in college. It's like you get a new boyfriend. I get it. You get distracted and such. But it's like you could see that Willow's like craving Buffy time without being very demanding of it, which I really appreciate about her in this um, episode. Um, and then like when they're talking, Buffy's just like distracted. Like Riley comes in and like I just feel for Willow in this situation. But I will say I kind of like this because I think it it leads into the fact that Buffy is very much taken by the facade of um, mm. the initiative. Like, she's just enamored with it. She's enamored with Riley and the initiative and all of that and isn't really thinking clearly. And I like that we see that in multiple aspects of, like, she's not really you know, stepping outside of herself and being like, okay, why am I, I'm spending too much time with my boyfriend. I need to see my friends. Like I'm spending too much time with people that I don't really trust fully. I like that we're seeing a side of Buffy that is faulted. I think that, you know, it's a very normal, natural thing to get in your own world and forget about the important stuff. Yeah. I, at first, I was a little annoyed because I'm kind of tired of the whole Buffy gets distracted with her life and then Willow gets hurt because I feel like we did that in season three. I was kind of like, eh, we're seeing this again. Because like, for instance, Willow was busy with college at the beginning of this season and with Oz and Buffy didn't really make a huge fuss of it. She kind of just – like she felt lonely, but she kind of went on with her life. But then I realized that they were kind of going for a different angle here. It isn't that Buffy has someone and is leaving Willow out because even though she is an hour late to the bronze, and we'll talk about that, she still does make an attempt to be a part of Willow's life. I think it's the fact that Willow doesn't have anyone, and they're highlighting that in this episode. Willow's feeling left out because she doesn't have someone. Xander and, and Anya have each other. Buffy has Riley. Willow's sitting here feeling frustrated that like she doesn't have that anymore. My problem is why does it have to be so extreme? Like, can't Buffy also make time for Riley and the initiative and also the Scoobies? It feels like whenever they're having the storyline, they always go for the, oh, Buffy's getting distracted from her mission with Angel, with Riley, with Faith. We did this in season two, season three, and now season four. So she snubs her friends. Like, why can't there ever be a balance of like Buffy's hanging out with her boyfriend, but then she's also hanging out with her friends? Like, I feel like we go through this kind of storyline every single season and it's the writer's way of being like, oh, Buffy's abandoning her mission or oh, Buffy's not being responsible or whatever. And I'm like, okay, I'm kind of tired of it a little bit. And maybe that's just me. Maybe that's me being nitpicky because I'm kind of bored at this conjuncture and I feel like we're starting to rehash familiar plot points. Um, but that's just how I feel about it. All Things Philosophical did have a really good quote. They said, Buffy sometimes pushes her friends away when she meets other professional <laughs> fry cooks. And it's understandable. Her friends can fight, but Buffy needs someone to share the pains and pleasures of her special calling with. The importance of this is brought home by the life-affirming erotic energy created when she fights side-by-side -side with her warrior peers, making love with Riley after beating the Pulgara demon, sharing a passion with Angel for fighting evil as well as for each other, or engaging in the post-slayage dance with Faith. 
But we know from her break from the authority of the Watchers Council that she is not going to fade into a cameo-colored crowd and become just another soldier. This is both a strength and a weakness. It is necessary for her to be quick-thinking and trust her own judgment. However, she needs to know when she must rely on the knowledge and judgment of others, and a blanket anti-authority stance won't help her do that. So, again... Like, I think good points talking about how, like, Buffy is missing that aspect of her life. Like, there's maybe a part of her life that Xander, Willow, and Giles can't quite fill. Like, she needs someone who fully understands everything, like, that aspect of her. Um, And that's what she tried to fill with Angel and Faith. So, I don't know. Again, maybe me being nitpicky and stuff like that. But I think that there is a better way that they can do that, that they don't always have to go towards that Buffy pushing her friends away. But I do think the episode is trying to make a point of Buffy is craving that closeness with people who genuinely like can relate with and understand her innate desire to fight demons and stuff. So I don't know. That's just my thoughts. I agree with you. It gets a little tiresome. I love how we see like um, a follow-up from last episode. Like Giles comes into like uh, Spike's crypt and gives him the three hundred dollars. I don't think. Yes. Like I mean, to be fair, I I always get this episode on rewatches, so I did not remember that he came in and had to like physically go in and uh, bring in his his bribe from the last episode. Okay, but how do you guys think Giles knew where Spike's crypt was? Does like did Spike send out like open house, open crypt invitations with his address <laughs> on it, and be no, like? Probably just had them come with him and help him pick it out. <laughs> he had them help move his coffin in and his other stuff, his television. And then has the audacity to be like, I'm done with you guys. Don't come back here in this up in this scene. Spike is the most entitled vampire ever. He's so moody. <laughs> He's like, when I need you, I will come and find you. Other than that, you are dead to me. I will kill you on sight if you come to me. <laughs> My favorite part was as Spike's counting his money, Giles is over there trying to reform Spike in an effort to, like, to find a purpose in life. He's like, hey, you know what? Um, do you need a watcher? <laughs> <laughs> He's trying to like hire himself. He's like, hey, you know, it occurs to me, and I realize it's against your nature, but have you considered there might be a higher purpose? And Spike's like, what are you still doing here? <laughs> he like forgets he's there. He's like, oh my gosh, I've lost track. <laughs> It reminds me of um. I was I was about to say that, Sarah. Oh, you made me start all over again. (laughs) (laughs) The stupid blondes. Anyway, little mini rant. Um. So, my gosh, any like scene where it's trying to be like intimate with Buffy and Riley, I just physically cannot. Like the scene where they're like, "Are you ready?" Oh. And I'm like, what, what are we talking about here? The like, weird my sexual innuendos with <laughs> between Buffy and Riley, they don't work. It's because we don't they buy want it. To, they want to let us know, like, they're having sex. It's like, well, apparently they it? were, but before yeah, this episode, which weren't. I didn't buy at all. I was like, did haven't they already? Like, I, I don't know. I thought they were when they were having sex. I was like, okay, like, um, isn't this new? Not new to us? Apparently, it is. I did not remember that. But the whole, like, my God, you said it was big. You told me, but you never, like, blah, blah, blah. Oh, my gosh. It was, like, okay, we have another penis metaphor here in case we weren't aware that the initiative is a giant metaphor for the patriarchy. Like, I love, I love Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but what is with all these penis metaphors? Like, to be honest, it's a little much sometimes. I'm like, okay, we get it. It's a metaphor for an analogy for fighting the patriarchy, how Buffy is a feminist show. Okay, Tabby? 
Joss Whedon is a feminist. Like, my goodness, you don't have to shove it down our throats all the time. Like, oh my gosh, I can't. <laughs> Shoving the penis metaphor Okay. Down our <laughs> okay, Sarah. I mean, of all of us be making that joke, I'm really surprised it's you today. I've never heard Sarah say like the F word literally ever. She says it in a quote. I'm like, okay, brushing past that. And then <laughs> it's just a little jarring. Sarah's being corrupted. I know. I only read it <laughs> in that kidding. instance because I felt like it needed that, it's exactly yeah. it's the context that it's yes i feel like it, it you needed to see how crass and crude 100%. and that is you know what i mean like i don't use it flippantly you so. said no i'm just joking with you no i know you're joking i'm just saying that like for me <laughs> i felt like we needed to see how disgusting joss is no for sure i i'm all for that but tabby's over here like oh clutching her pearls <laughs> like sarah oh i know sorry gosh <laughs> Um, anyway, so Buffy's very impressed, very awkward. It feels slightly intimate when we're looking at this, like, m- that's supposed to be massive. And I'm like, sorry, guys, I'm just seeing this tinfoil on the ground. That's all I'm seeing in a warehouse. Like, this is not that big. It's so funny because they're, like, super proud of this. And I feel like if there ever was an analogy for the initiative and we're She's over faking here, like. It. She's like, wow, this is so impressive. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Bobby no, comes literally. out from having sex with Riley for the first time. And she's like, wow, that was amazing. But we're all like, and we're comparing this to the initiative. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And then they're, like, about to kiss. And, like, freaking Maggie comes up, cock block. Yeah, Maggie. And then gives her, like, paperwork. And, like, her joke is just so awkward. Like, everything is just not hitting right now. It's so uncomfortable. Oh, and she's like, oh, we call this the pit. I'm like, okay. The we could have thought about that. Wow. So, so brilliant. The mastermind's know, in this place. The pit. It looks she's like, like a we call bowl. this the pit. And then smiles with like <laughs> proud like, gleam in her eye. The gentleman <laughs> applause golf clapping over here. <laughs> and then oh, Buffy was so cute though. She's like picking up the camera and she's like, that's $20,000. And you're like, okay. It reminds me of Jurassic Park. He's like, is it heavy? Then it's expensive. Put it back. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love how like, okay, she's like, okay, let's have Buffy come in. Let's give her a whole tour so that she's curious about the initiative, but then have this whole passageway that we're like telling her she can't go through and she's not going to be sus about it. And as soon as she asks about it, then Maggie's like, oh my gosh, she figured it out. I got to kill her. You're like, huh? Like, it's literally right there. Like, is she not going like, to ask about it? Why can't just lie? Like, I don't understand why she was like, <laughs> yeah. immediately like, she needs to die. It's like, why don't you like try actually being good at your job first? <laughs> well, I think, I don't think Maggie was like, kill her now because she asked about the one door. Because like we have this moment where she talks about like we made significant advancements reconditioning the subterrestrials, bringing them to a point where they no longer pose a harmful threat. Buffy says, I've seen. The script says Maggie looks at her sharply. You could tell Maggie's like, wait a minute. What have you seen? Then you also have the moment where they have sex. And then afterwards, she asks Riley about 314. And it's implied that Maggie is listening to them because she's watched them. So the phone rings right after so it's assuming that Maggie oh. is trying to interrupt that conversation, mm-hmm. and then she calls Riley in for something, sends him off, calls Buffy in, and then sends her to her death. So it was not until Buffy actually mentioned three fourteen, amidst all the little things that Maggie was observing about Buffy. Hmm. So yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, because later we see her watch them have sex in the same room, so that makes sense that she. Would oh, be able to, I like, have thoughts about that. Yeah, yes. sorry, let jump us, with the gun with that. Let's um, show that because. <laughs> <jump scare. laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, seriously, I was like, ew, 
I don't oh I don't want to see this ever again. Okay. Yeah, anyway, okay. we'll talk about that in a minute. Talk about like Josh and, and okay, again, Josh Whedon. Let's go with the next scene because this is a lot more wholesome. <laughs> okay. Um okay, so in the lounge we have Tara and Willow looking at a crystal. This is my favorite, I think, scene of the well, no, okay, my second favorite scene of the episode. It's just sweet, wholesome, and beautiful. Well, I okay, I love Tara's character. She's so sweet. I don't know what it is. Or like I don't know if like um, Amber Benson was just on something this episode, but she just looks stunning in every single scene. Like yeah. she just looked gorgeous. Like the makeup they put on her was beautiful. Like she just had this like sweet demeanor about her the whole episode. I just was like, oh, I want more of her as a character. She's great. I love her. I just like that we're getting more of her like seeming confident rather than in a crowd where she can't speak her mind. Yeah, you can definitely feel like they both are very at ease around each other. Tara is just so freaking cute and precious, and Mm -hmm. she seems like such a gentle soul. Like, she's someone that I immediately would be like, I would want to be friends with her because I feel like she genuinely would listen to what I have to say and listen. And I don't feel that way about a lot of the Buffyverse characters. Um, And the fact that she found her grandmother's crystal and was going to give it to Willow, I thought that was just the sweetest thing ever. I know. But the moment where... Willow says, hey, like, I have to go and, like, I'll see you later. And at first I was kind of like, okay, why is Tara so hurt by that? Tara is used to people not wanting to be with her. So I think there was, like, I'm getting the sense there's a lot of past hurt and insecurity that has led to her feeling like maybe Willow is making excuses to just not want to hang out with her when that's obviously not not the case at all. Well, and there's also subtext, too, with, like, the whole, like, Oh, there's something that like she's probably not thinking it something super like sentimental through the lens of somebody else. She's just thinking, oh, this would be nice. Maybe I'll give it to Willow to show her how much I care for her. And then Willow's thinking like, oh, this is like something really intimate. I don't want to take something from Tara that's like a family heirloom sort of thing. Totally. But then also Tara's also thinking she's rejecting my like, you know, I'm putting myself um, out there. Yeah, exactly. Yes. So I like. I feel like it was very well written and like it didn't yeah. feel far fetched and it was so like nuancedly that's not a word, but just like very like subtly <laughs> played in a way yeah. that There's like a lot of subtext. Yes. And it was very well done. I agree. And it was also just beautifully shot. Like yeah. where they were sitting with like the sunlight streaming. Well, Tara's and it just- freaking glowing, like they both her just zigzag look so part is so, so cute, cute and unique. Yeah, I get it. Yep. It's very two thousands. I remember doing that in like elementary. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Anyway, and then we have to go freaking back to the initiative. I'm like, can we stay in the lounge for a little bit longer? This seems like two minutes. I don't want to go back. I don't want to go back. I'm like screaming. At least we get to figure out what's behind 314. Like they literally just told us about 314. Like the episode before and then it's like, boom, we didn't have to wait for very long. I'm surprised they didn't build up the suspense. They should have. They Mm -hmm. flipping should have. Yep. And we see Maggie go into – Dun, 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 314, which is the only door we see them go into. So it's like, why do we even need to see the number on the door? Like, we, this is the only security clearance door that we've seen them go through in the initiative. Obviously, it's going to be 314. Yeah, well, we got it. We got to know. We have to know explicitly. Yeah. Well, and then the doctor in there is like talking about the tour and how it went. And she's like, unsure because Buffy's unpredictable. Like, girly, do you even really know Buffy? I don't know. 
I mean, she is unpredictable in the sense that they don't know her. But then if you aren't sure about her, why are you saying, yeah, Riley, bring your girlfriend in? I think it'd be completely reasonable to be like, this is a lot of like top security stuff. We need to like get to know you beforehand. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. But some of the dialogue here, I was just cringing. Dr. (laughs) Engelman's like, she's like, well, how's our baby doing today? He's like, adjusting (gasps) nicely, reflexes, motor functions. And I was like, okay, how do you test motor functions without them being awake? But also we have like this like beautiful, subtle, nuanced scene literally right beforehand. Like that's masterclass of like storytelling in subtle ways. And then we (laughs) go into freaking episode or like anything to do with Maggie and this like doctor and freaking Adam. It's like all of a sudden they just were like, let's write a script for four-year-olds so they can understand what this metaphor means. And you're like, you can make this like way more – subtle like my goodness you're shoving this like metaphor down our throats with this like baby and adam and yeah it almost like insults our intelligence it's like dude we can understand well and then naming the whole monster adam is just a little little bit too on the nose it's like this like first creation of something and then it's like being like like built out of many different things so it's like the merging of different worlds it's a little too much for me Okay, but this is the same – these are the same people that also wrote the whole like, wow, it's so big conversation. Like, <laughs> you know, I mean, come on. Like, I just don't just understand how the same, the same writers write this and then wrote all of season three. Yeah, I know. I know. Oh, anyway, should we end this scene with her being like, Adam, you're going to make me proud. Blah, blah, blah. Then we go to the bronze. I have very mixed feelings about this whole scene at the bronze. It's, like, sad because it's, like, Buffy wasn't there for an hour, and I get it. Like, they had things they had to do. They were being called in, yada, yada, yada. Um, and then, like, and Xander and Anya have the whole conversation between, like, hey, like, let me sell these bars, and then I could buy you money. And all of a sudden, she's like, cool, sounds good to me. Um, and you could see Willow being, like, like really holding out because she's like, I want, like, the gang to, like, reconnect. I want us to, like, have a fun time. And then Buffy comes in with, like – it would be different if Buffy came in with, like, Riley because it's, like, you know, it is a little bit annoying she didn't, like, run that by them. But it's, like, if you're going to bring your new boyfriend, it's kind of, like, somewhat expected even though, like, no one really talked about that. Um, but then it's, like, you bring in, like, Forrest and Graham when you're saying you're going to, like, hang out and catch up with your friends. I just – I would be annoyed. If this were me, I would be annoyed. Even bringing your significant other when you haven't prefaced or asked no, totally. if it is like a friend thing, it's disrespectful. Like you should ask or you should at least like give a heads up or like it shouldn't just be like a, oh, well, if I'm if I'm going, they're going and you're just going to – you need to expect that. Poor Willow. I mean the fact that she tells her mm-hmm. new friend Tara she can't come and then ends up waiting an hour. Like if I were Willow, I would have left long before that. And the fact that she stuck it out and was waiting for Buffy, I don't know. That's just this – this to Buffy's credit, though, I will say. So Buffy comes in and then Willow expresses how she's feeling and, you know, that she thought it was just going to be them. Buffy immediately understands and says, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize it was a big deal. My total bad. She apologizes quite fast and quite genuinely um, and then asks – Willow about her. But honestly, good on Willow for immediately. Yeah, for sure. Expressing herself. Expressing it rather than just being like pissy the whole time and like Buffy not really knowing why. 
It's really interesting that Willow doesn't want to tell her about Tara, though. Like, we're noticing her intentionally sidestepping everything about Tara, um, which is very interesting. Okay. The beeper's going off. Oh, Oh my my gosh. gosh. Did you hear Riley being like, oh, that's us, as if – all the 15 beepers going off inside the bronze wasn't enough to clue everyone in. And then he's like, that's mother. Mother wants us. What? Oh, my God. It's just so – it's honestly – I don't know how Buffy doesn't get an ick. I, I literally – I would be – oh, my gosh. If I heard a man call someone who wasn't his mother mother and then his beeper is going off, I literally would be like, eh, this ain't going to work. <laughs> <laughs> they can all work. Leah's like the beeper was the last nail in the coffin. It's not the beeper. It's the fact that they all think they're so cool for like having a beeper and like being part of the initiative. Like it would just be such a, a freaking it. Come on, boys. The alpha team. Let's go. Mother's calling. Yeah, no, I can't. Mm-hmm. Lilac I can't. one. <laughs> uh, like uh, Maggie Walsh named all their call signs after her favorite fragrances. <laughs> Oh no, dude, God. it's like um, it's like the pacifier where it's like <laughs> red one, red two, red baby, <laughs> red baby. Yeah, that's a good movie. So back in the initiative, we have that whole like Maggie debriefing everyone on the monster, telling them how to hunt it, telling them strict orders that they cannot kill or damage the arms. Which I feel like that would be so suspicious for me right away. And I mm-hmm. love the Buffy's like asking so many questions about it. And everyone's, like, so annoyed because they're like, you don't question mother. You don't question mother. <laughs> I really love that they had Buffy. First of all, her orange halter top is gorgeous. She looks stunning. I love the layered necklaces mm-hmm. that go along with that as well. But I love the contrast to her bright orange in the sea of green. And obviously, that's very intentional. Not only is she wearing very different clothing, but she's the only girl. And there's a bunch of guys around her. And I don't know. I feel like... Visually, this is such a cool representation of the season. Well, and I feel like all the guys are rolling their eyes, being like, oh my gosh, this girl's asking so much. She's not all the guys. Forrest. Forrest is. Well, there are a couple guys were like laughing or whatever, too. But it's like, I love that it's not like through the lens of of one of the commando guys or whatever is thinking, oh, this is annoying. She's being so chatty. But then it's like, if you really actually listen to the questions she's asking, they're so intelligent and important and these are questions you should be asking classic misogyny (laughs) she's she's saying hey like i'd like to not die if it's me versus that that demon that i'm fighting like you know better it's bits than mine but then also like if i understand its motivation it will help me find it easier so again these are good questions also you should be like uh, it's like this whole like idea of like never questioning authority especially because if if you grew up in like a parent's household where like if it was majorly patriarchal or matriarchal there's like that one parent or maybe both Mm -hmm. that you're like taught to never question it's like you always just have to do whatever they're doing and it's like that's not a very healthy mindset it's like when you get older then it's like then you put yourself in situations all the time but you can put yourself in situations where you just get walked all over um, and you don't know how to voice your own opinion. You don't know how to stand up for yourself or even just reading the room and like keeping yourself safe in situations, you know? Um, and I feel like a lot of those guys sitting there are just being trained in like this quote unquote military. I, I mean, I'm not, I've never been in the military. So it's, it's not like <laughs> I can't speak for that. Um, but this is what the show was telling us. 
what their experience is, is like never question it. It's also just a control thing. Mm -hmm. It's just a, if you can't think for yourself and you just have the leader, like make all the rules and stuff, then no one steps out of line and no one questions anything. Therefore, you know, we don't have any issues. Yeah. The people are easier to control. Yeah. Which is so interesting because, again, we're starting to see this stuff crop up. She's treating the guys no better than how they treat the demons, like the operant conditioning. They're conditioning these people not to ask questions, just as they are conditioning the demons to uh, behave more morally in society in a way that fits into what their rigid social structure, how they think that society should operate. And that just becomes really, really dangerous. Um, And it would make sense why their hackles are immediately raised once they see Buffy. They're like, whoa, okay, this is someone who is very different, who we don't have on, you know, special vitamins, who we don't have on a regiment. And um, the fact that she's so close to their number one man also makes it more problematic for them as well. And then we have a little bit of a break from the initiative (laughs) and we go back And then Willow goes back to go hang out with Tara because everyone left really early and Tara looks super happy about it. And then they go and hang out with each other. Honestly, can I come? Because honestly, I feel like that would be much chiller than hanging out the bronze. Like she's in (laughs) t-shirts and sweatpants. Like it looks so cozy versus Mm -hmm. like, you know, having to do what Buffy has to do, like go hunt in the initiative. And then whiplash back. Oh my god. This is a lot of like little small breaks and then you have to go straight back into the main storyline. Um they're outside and the, this is like not the graveyard. I'm like what do we even categorize that? It's like just the, the woods. forest woods it's the whatever. woods. Yeah. Um and then Riley's like don't worry about Mackie. She says like she liked you way before I did. Um and then we kind of like bounce back and forth between like Forrest and Graham talking. Forrest is all butthurt. Forrest chose Buffy over him. <laughs> and Graham, I think this is the most we've ever heard the man I talk. Know. <laughs> well, and then he's like making jokes and then Forrest is getting like all mad about it. I was like, please I mean, keep roasting him. Keep saying it. Graham is low key like standing up for Riley, like the best yeah. bro. He's over there like, hey, he made you team leader. That's like the last time we were in this forest and you were complaining, you were saying, I want to be a team leader. Why does he make Buffy or what? whatever? Oh, yeah, I'm like, pulling rank about. or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And then the fact that Graham like steps in and say, hey, that's his girl. Like it's a different type of relationship. So again, I think they're hammering home the family dynamic and how Buffy's kind of coming in and she's changing up things. She is coming, not coming between, it's not her coming between. She's changing how Forrest and Riley's relationship is, their their brother relationship. She's changing Maggie and Riley's relationship. And nobody is really comfortable with that because they have their way of doing things. Ooh, this feels like a very, like a metaphor for like a toxic family, kind of like what you were talking about, Tabs. Oh, 100%. Because it's like Forrest is like the toxic brother who Mm -hmm. like is encouraging his brother to like do all the wrong things. And then Maggie is like the toxic mother who's like low-key in love with her son. (laughs) She's like suckle on my teat. Come on. (laughs) She's just like, have you guys seen those like TikToks or videos where it's like the moms that are like, they get mad at their like son's girlfriend or stuff for doing like basic stuff. They're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe like she comes over and she like eats all of our food or like things like that. And it's oh, like, really? yeah, I there's like so many videos. And then I see people duetting and just being like, and then you guys wonder why like your sons hate you after their relationships and stuff. And it's because you 
like are creepy to their girlfriends. Well, um, some comedic break while they're like Graham and Forrest are like crapping on or whatever. You see like Spike <laughs> with his groceries walking into his crypt and they spot him. He just looks so funny walking around with his like brown paper bag full of groceries. He's got like his loaf of bread and he's just like chilling out there. I love how they just like, they're like, wait, wait. It's like buck hunting. Hostel 17. There's one over there. (laughs) They're like, wait a minute. Hostel 17's out buying groceries? I thought he was like an animal. They try capturing him and fails. They shoot a tracker on him. And I love how, like, the tracker we see later doesn't even puncture through the leather. Like, the amount of times that he's got, yeah, like, yeah. arrows through the leather and then it's, like, miraculously fixed. He has to pull down his um his leather <laughs> jacket to show the hole in his shirt. I and I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, guys, this was really expensive. Can't They're like, put we only hole. have one. We cannot it damage this. It is the only one. It yeah. is the only one they had. They had to trade off between him and the stunt double. So they're like, no holes in the leather jacket. I'm like, <laughs> get get a separate one just for stunts like this. Like, yeah. come on. Um, oh, I did I did think it was very, very clever that they are finding ways to continually drive Spike back to the Scoobies. Like mm-hmm. they they actively are all trying to separate and he keeps having to go back to them. Yeah. I will say it's it's clever writing because it feels natural that he yeah. has to keep going back. Because I mean obviously they like, you know, James Marsters and they want to keep him in the show. And so it's like they're finding ways to keep him in, but they're doing it well, in my opinion. All right, this scene. I was about to say, I was like, Sarah, you want to? <laughs> Do I want to talk scene? about it? Not really. Oh my gosh, <laughs> the sex montage is the most uncomfortable thing Whoa. I've ever seen in my entire life. The stiff you know, bodies, the awkward, quiet glances, like <laughs> the sucking yeah. on the finger. Oh! The- <laughs> And, and then, then at one Maggie point, watching. Riley has his arms outstretched. No, he's see, I don't chest. need all Sarah. I don't. Need I literally, all actually, I think play. I'd rather watch an hour loop of Maggie and Forrest having <laughs> conversations. <laughs> I just okay. So here's the thing: like they try to make this all sexy with the slow mo and stuff, and I just, oh, I'm like literally like I feel nauseous when I think about it. <laughs> and I'm gonna be I'm gonna be real. There are there are moments of this show that I have never seen. I know everyone's like shocked, and it's like scenes like this that I refuse <laughs> to watch because I literally just am so uncomfortable with it. And so doing the podcast, some of these I have to watch for the first time. Literally had never seen some of these. I won't say it again, but I hadn't seen some of these <laughs> things. And I was like, this is just it's like they have no chemistry, so they have to be like manufacturing it through like putting in like him sexually taking off her boot or I don't know. Stop, stop, stop. I can't. I literally can't. It's actually traumatizing. It it really kind of is. And then, you know, just the little like cherry on top is Maggie watching them the entire time, sipping her coffee. Oh my gosh. And I just love that like of all the sex scenes to show of them too, this is the one Maggie watches and enjoys. Like, girl, you good? Like, oh my word. I don't know that she enjoyed it. She looked like she was seething the entire time. I was surprised they didn't have her like hot chocolate or coffee or whatever it was start bubbling with like the glares she was shooting at the screen. But I also think it's inferred that she's been watching them a lot. Like, this is not a new thing. Yeah. I think this is the first time Buffy's been back to his room. But yeah, she probably tapes stuff. What a violation of privacy, man. My gosh, this is just – I cannot – anyway, I need to move on. 
Um, I will mention this is kind of funny. The bed sheets actually changed color mid scene. They were do blue they and really? White, and then they turned to be red. <laughs> they had to do some laundry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they they stopped and were like, oh, hey, you know what? Let's get some new bed sheets. They just had to keep redoing the take because they're like, guys, you're supposed to be in love. I'm like, not doing it I'm again. Not sensing chemistry. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> take it from the top. And they're like, oh, that's why their bodies look so stiff because they're like, we've been doing this for hours. I'm they're so like, Mark Lucas, we know you're uncomfortable, but you need to look like you're actually enjoying having sex here. Like, come on, man. Okay. Uh. Um, and then back at Giles' house, <laughs> Xander is trying to sell Giles the bar. Oh, yeah. He, like, forces him to take a bite, and he's like, please leave my home now. Even <laughs> <laughs> his mouth is still full, he's like, please leave my home now. And then he's, like, trying to find a place to spit it out as Spike knocks on the door. I know. Like, again, if the, they were sponsored by this, like, small brand of bars, like, they did a really bad job of, like, making <laughs> us want to, like, sell it or, like, eat it or whatever. It is funny, though, because as the episode goes on, more and more people, the more anxious they get, the more they eat the bars. Like, at one point, Anya's even eating it. And throughout the first half of the episode, she was, like, cringing every time someone would eat it or or Xander would bring it up. If they didn't get sponsored for, like, band candy, like the chocolate or whatever in band candy, that would be, like, the ideal sponsored product in, like, an episode. It's, like, everyone loves it so much they're getting addicted to it that they're literally, like, losing their minds. Yeah. And then Spike comes running in with the tarp over him. And then he's like, Jaws is like, hey, I helped you last time. You got to give me back the money. And he's like, oh, well, here's what's left of it. Petty Giles is hilarious. How he doesn't come out right and say it. He just leads Spike to the conclusion. Mm -hmm. And Spike's like, oh. And he's like, "Mm mm-hmm, yes. Hand me my money back. And then it's all like crumpled. And he's like, well, this is all that's left of it. I spent <laughs> it on blood and smokes. We can't even go back. That he left in the middle of the in the of the woods. Yep. And then he has to take off like his like leather jacket, and then you see the hole. I cannot. Um, there's actually a sizable portion of the fandom. I know. I'm sorry. This is going to ruin your day. There's a sizable oh, portion no. of the Buffy fandom that actually ships Spike and Xander together. Um, and they use moments like this where uh, Xander says like. Spike said that about us. Well, now I got to tell you that hurts. Like they use that as like fodder for it. Like they're they're actually like in love with each other. I just feel like the Buffy fandom just ships every single option that they can think of. It kind of feels that way. At some point. Like there's just – there are – there is a ship for literally every single pairing in this universe that doesn't surprise me. Usually I can see these things coming. But like when I found out that was a thing – like a couple of years ago, I was like genuinely like, huh? Like I just did not – I did not see what everyone else was trying to see, I guess. And I'm sorry to like bring this back up again. Um, I forgot this thing about the sex scene. I will oh, – Oh, no, brief, Sarah. We don't even I go know, back. I'm sorry. Teacher's pet. We just will never be able to go away. <laughs> no, okay. But I just want to say it's really interesting that they have Buffy being um, kind of the – not the aggressor, the initiator in the sex scene. Um, because that is, I think, supposed to be like showing how she's become more comfortable in and confident and accepting of her slaying and her relationship and her sexuality because they have the the very intentional mirroring of slaying and sex at the same time. So I think like showing how Buffy is the initiator for a lot of this is well, that and um, Riley's a little beta. <laughs> I was going to say at one point, it's interesting the I'm same time kidding. they have. No, but I kind of agree with you. You notice how Buffy moves to on top. Yep. I mean, here's the thing. 
For anyone who Hello, doesn't princess. know, I'm literally joking. I hate the term beta. I actually I think it's hilarious, but um I think it is in in a sense it is kind Riley's of showing the, the fact that Riley's yeah, the bottom. I mean it's it's kind of showing the fact that like I think that Buffy doesn't really take him seriously. Like I don't yeah. think that she really views him in a very dominant or strength position yeah yeah i mean it quite possibly it, it is interesting that the moment that they have buffy move to on top they also show her delivering the final blow in the fight scene and it's again that very very visual parallel of she's in charge she's confident um and also slaying makes you horny because you know we know that from faith so i just thought that was interesting and it is kind of a progression of buffy's character because for the longest time in season three, she really struggled with the slaying is fun mentality that Faith had. And I do think we're seeing Buffy kind of embracing a little bit of a little bit more of Faith's mentality towards slaying. So I just wanted to point that out. All right, that's it. I'm done. I'm done talking about that rank sex oh my scene. Gosh. Yeah, thank you. My apologies. Moving on. If anything, at least we kind of get this little resolve when Buffy wakes up. Yes. And, and she's wearing like, you know, the red sheets. Very metaphorical again, symbolic. Um, Buffy wakes up and like jolts because she's like, oh, he's not here and turns around. And then Riley didn't leave, which I'm happy that points, Buffy points was able him. to wake up. <laughs> the bar you know, is so low. And the guy was still there. This is the third guy that she slept with. And this is the first one that has been there when she's woken up the next day. So props to Riley for that, the bare minimum. I thought I actually thought this moment was really sweet. How he says, what's the matter? Wasn't expecting to see me. How he was awake and he chose to stay there and he was like sweetly watching her. I don't know. I just thought it was a really tender Bonus moment. points for him. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> and then you have that like that moment where he's like taking his vitamins and we're like, okay, this seems sus. And then Buffy starts to like ask like, hey, you're quite the regimental soldier. And he says, which both Passion the Nerd and I believe is the most important line of the episode is you're he says, I am how they trained me because, again, it's implying like this this idea of Maggie Walsh shaping him similar to how she does with Adam. And he doesn't question it too. Well, yep. and then she's like, well, you don't really ask many questions um, when they give you orders and that she'd be curious if she were him. And then she asks about 314 and the phone miraculously rings. Yeah, right that's then, not a coincidence. That up. Yeah. Not a coincidence. And we find out that it's Maggie saying that she needs him um, and that he doesn't know why. Uh, and then we jump back into the initiative. He kind of looks through like the hallway door because Buffy kind of asked about 314. He's like, huh, never thought about the, that before. Yeah. She has him questioning things. Mm -hmm. Maggie comes up, gives him instructions, and is like, make me proud. Which is what she said to Adam. She mm -hmm. says, you're going to make me proud. A lot of parallels. Yep. Creepy parallels. Yeah. yeah well, agreed. and then directly after that, we, we see in the room of 314, Mag is kind of like talking to that random dude and is saying that Buffy's becoming a liability, that she's sneaking around too much, asking too many questions. Um, and then we see the guy remove the arm of the monster that they worked on last night and that were, they were fighting with. And we kind of can assume that he's going to put it on Adam because Adam definitely looks like he's been a tinkered with Piece together yeah. <laughs> tinkered with yeah i do think it is interesting that they have maggie like in, in the script and it's conveyed in the episode too 
that she doesn't want to kill Buffy. Like there's this idea of like regret. Like she's not happy about what she's doing. It's not gleeful or anything. It's very much like, oh, like she could have been really like a great ally, a great asset. Um, and I think that adds like a really interesting complexity. But I'm just bummed that we never really figure out Maggie's full motivation. Yeah. Like we can kind of piece together something. But again, there's just so much that they could have done with Maggie and they just didn't. They really dropped the ball with her character. Like, it's just kind of like, oh, that's it? It's such a missed opportunity, man. Back at Giles' house is trying to get the tracker out. Um, And then Xander says, well, it's like a tracer since he was a soldier that one time, literally three (laughs) seasons ago. You're like, okay, how long are we going to be keeping this up for? Well, it is funny because David Fury says that his skills are fading with time as would an actual soldier who hadn't kept up his training. However, once in a while, a spark of memory or talent can provide helpful info. Yes, we know, David. We know. Wow, so convenient. We don't need his knowledge in this scenario. Like he's literally saying it's blinking. I think I could put two and two together. I'd be like, maybe this is a tracker. I think we need a jingle or something every time Xander remembers something soldiery to be like, ding, ding, ding. Xander has pulled out his one – he's like a one-trick pony. He's got his one talent. Back at the room, uh, Buffy comes back in and Willow isn't there, shockingly. Um, (sighs) And then she comes back in, both of them wearing the same clothes from the day beforehand. And both of them are like, oh, out all night. None of them either questions where the other person was, which is kind of funny to me. Um. And then Buffy apologizes for last night, which I really appreciate. And it's interesting because I don't think Willow is actually heard about it anymore. I think she actually had a better time with Tara and is like, yeah, I'm fine. I have my people. I have someone I'm hanging out with. Like I, And again, they're trying helps. to yeah. – the subtext. They're trying to push us in a certain direction. Um, and I do think it's interesting. When she walks into the room, she's carrying the crystal that Tara gave her. So – Oh, is she really? I didn't catch that. Mm-hmm. And it's actually the crystal that she uses to do the spell later on in the episode. Hmm. Um, and then Buffy apologizes, and then she gets buzzed again from her pager, and then that she has to leave. And then Giles calls Willow, says that he needs her help. Um, oh my gosh, let me go back to the initiative. Like, my goodness, just literally it's like one small scene, and then back to the freaking initiative <laughs> this entire episode. And then Maggie's sending Buffy on a mission alone, gives her, like, I love how she just hands her this weapon. It's like, this will help. Even as if Buffy, like, doesn't most of the time use her, like, physical strength and hands to kill the monsters. I was like, okay, like, you really think this is going to, like, take her down by one faulty weapon that she's going to solely rely on? You're really just thinking right. based on the men that you know, not Buffy. Well, yeah, again, and this is this is the whole problem with Maggie's whole plan yeah. and what Buffy calls her out on. She doesn't know what a slayer is, and they don't bother to do any sort of research on her, which is why they're like, oh my gosh, she's a threat. Maggie just – I think she's looking at Buffy as the small blonde. Even though she knows maybe what a slayer is, she just – is not thinking that Buffy is anything that impressive or is that much of a threat, which is hilarious because which is it, Maggie? You think she's a threat enough that she has to die, but then you also – all you do is give her a faulty weapon and lock her into a cage with two demons. I don't know. I just yeah. – either you don't have a right perspective on your own people's talent. Like just seeing how many people that Buffy took out and how long it took for them to track her should be enough to tell Maggie that they need to do more to get rid of her, but it is what it is. Well, and then before Buffy goes, she's like, hey, there's some things I'm very unclear on. I'd love to talk to you about it. And then Maggie's like, when you come back, we'll talk about it. 
And then back at Joss's house, like Sarah said, Willow's doing the spell to kind of help, like, put, like, some sort of, like, glamour over the house so that the tracker won't be tracked. And then it could buy them some time. And then we see, like, Riley and the guys, their mission was to go out and try to track Spike to bring him back in. Um, They have their little trusty gadgets (laughs) of where they can (laughs) spot Spike. Okay, Riley has been at Joss's house before. Why did he not recognize, hey, we're in the same neighborhood as Giles. Like, maybe something's going All on. All good questions, I don't know. Sarah. All good questions. I know. They are. Also, <laughs> Three geez, excellent man. questions. <laughs> yeah. What? How? What? <laughs> okay, but also, it must be exhausting the fact that they are constantly getting dressed and undressed. Like, they got all suited up, went out, realized, oh, we need to go into our civvies, get dressed in their civvies. Like, there's just a and lot of like- forever. Man. There's so many layers. She's for real. Seriously. I know. Well, imagine being a college student and then having to like also be a commando and then like you're in the middle taking a test and you're like, pager. And you're like, got to go. <laughs> uh, for real. I, I don't think they're college stu- actual college students. I have not seen them in class at all. <laughs> That's true. I mean, well, because Riley, maybe they're all just like supposed to act as if they're students. They could just protect people if they need to. It's funny because Riley talks about in the conversation with Buffy how he was in, I think it was special ops and then got pulled out of that to do this. So if he was in special ops, they go, okay, guess what? We're going to send you to college now and have you be a part of the initiative. Was he in college while he was in the special ops? Because that's not how that works. Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) That's how it works for Riley, Sarah. Oh, he's a special little snowflake. He beats the odds. Oh, gosh. Okay. And then Buffy is like in the sewers or wherever this is. Looks like the breakup sewers of her and Buff- her and Angel. Oh, yeah. Um, and then she's like talking to Maggie with like the camera thing that she picked up earlier, um, but that she also can have direct contact with her as well. So it's like an audio and a visual. And then you see the two demons come in and she immediately tracks them. It's like, oh, I've seen those demons. Those are the ones that they've been mm-hmm. testing on in the initiative. Um, and then right as she's thinking about that, the gun malfunctions and then a gate goes down and locks her in. As if she didn't know this was already a trap. It's like, okay. Yeah. Um, and then Maggie just watches as if like – and then no one, like, But it's also like out in the freaking open in the initiative. Like, yeah. Everyone's just walking past. No one questions anything. It's because they're soldiers, Tabby. They do what they're told. They look forward. <laughs> they don't look to the side. I was like bold of Maggie to do this while everyone else is around. Like, for real? I, if I were someone, I'd be nosy. I want to see how the Slayer does on her first solo mission. Yeah. Like, I feel like, yeah. Doesn't Maggie have like an office in the initiative? I know. Why is she, she watching like, this in the office? Does she watch everybody on their monitors in the out- open like that? Like, is she watching on those same monitors? Like, where where is that room that she watches everyone? Wouldn't that be the same room that she would also watch Buffy? No, that's, that's, that's like- specifically for watching Buffy and Riley have sex. This one is for missions. But, like, is no one noticing <laughs> that Maggie isn't, like, trying to talk to Buffy, say, hey, do this, hey, do that? Like, Maggie She's really – letting is- it happen. Yeah. Yeah. Just sipping her coffee. Someone walks by is like, um, are you going to do something about that? <laughs> like – well and then like the whole camera goes on on the floor and she thinks Buffy dies and looks somewhat relieved but sick at the same time Um, and then we bounce back into like the neighborhood that Riley should you know recognize should we like we said man Uh doesn't have a thought in his body (laughs) yep well they're still trying to find you know the the spot for where Spike is on like the little contraption. They can't find it. Somehow stopped. 
back of Giles' house. Giles finally got it out. Um, and then the boys find the tracker's life and they go to run towards it. And then Giles gives the tracker to Xander, who then we find out throws it into the toilet because the boys are very confused. They're like, 10 feet away, 5 feet away. I'm like, guys, you would see it if it's right in front of you. Like, are you dumb? <laughs> they wait until it passes them and then they're confused. Anya's so stressed while all this is happening. She's actually eating one of the disgusting bars. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And they find out that it's in the sewers. And they're like, oh, that's – oh, oh, that's why it, it didn't – got it. It wasn't in front of us because, guys, it was in the sewers. Boris, it was in the sewers. <laughs> I'm surprised that Riley wasn't like, well, guys, we're going in the sewers. Got to help mother. <laughs> like, he was like, She nope. said it. We have to go in, guys. Please. <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised he wasn't like, okay, let's go. Time to change into our scuba gear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, have to change. <laughs> you have to change again in order to go in there. Yeah, he gets like his snorkels and his flippers. And he's like, all right, let's 30 go. 30 minutes later, they're like dressing yeah. each other, helping each other get ready. <laughs> it's like long gone. Yeah, right. <laughs> and then back in the sewers, Buffy's still fighting them. She gets one of them knocked down. And then another one of the demon accidentally tossed something into the puddle. I wasn't really paying attention that much, to be honest. Okay. Well, so what happened is demon number one swung its axe at Buffy. She ducked. I will. Thank you. (laughs) Demon number one swung his axe at Buffy. She ducked and the axe hit number two in the chest and killed it. (laughs) Buffy is so talented. She doesn't even need to lay a finger on them. Exactly. (laughs) And then she goes down in the water and then recognize or she sees the water the demon gets pushed into the water the other one and then she realizes oh i can electrocute them with my malfunctioning gun picks it up throws it's it still in, malfunctioning them. after like 15 minutes of them, her fighting them there's it's still yeah. sparking yeah i mean there's probably something in there that would probably electrocute it but yeah then we have demon barbecue but like the puddle was like an inch at most and you're like this it's a this is enough for it to like electrify. Oh yeah. Know. Oh yeah. Any any sort of water works as a conduit. Do you guys not remember that one time that our jacuzzi or not jacuzzi, our above ground pool had a plug that was over a puddle and it started sparking and smoking and mom stood in the puddle and yanked oh the gosh. plug out. She the could easily thing. all it takes is just having some sort of water as a conduit for you to get barbecued. That's terrifying. Yeah. Apparently, according to the script, it's demon screams and shakes in agony as 50,000 volts course through its body. So it was enough to kill it. Wow. If the script says so. Then it must be right. (laughs) (laughs) And then freaking back at the initiative, Maggie gives the performance of her life telling Riley that- Uh, It wasn't even. No, you're giving her (laughs) way too much credit. Woman, the woman was not believable at all. Like she was all like, oh my gosh, put her hands on her cheek. Okay. Yeah, you should. <laughs> like, it's I don't like know she how didn't even-, even believes this woman for a second when she talks. She's like, oh, she's how is she a psychology professor? I don't understand. Because she likes to control other people's behavior, but she's like the least self-aware person yeah. ever. Oh, but this speech of Buffy's, I cannot tell you every time. I do a rewatch of the show. I get really excited for this moment because. From here on out, the show does start to pick up season-wise, and this moment is where I'm like, finally, we get Slayer Buffy. I feel like we've got so much of human Mm -hmm. Buffy in this season, um, which is fine because I love human Buffy, but there's not enough slaying, and from here on out, we're like, finally. Well, a couple episodes we mentioned how like we've barely seen her just casually patrolling. Like That feels like like Buffy core. 
And yeah. like if we don't have that, I'm like, man, that's like the essence. That's the fun part of the show is when she's like patrolling and like doing those quips and like getting a lot of those fun like choreographed like fight scenes and and all that stuff. Yeah. And we've barely gotten that. We've just gotten a lot of like human Buffy, but then also just like school Buffy, which isn't the most exciting all the time. Um, right. But yeah, like this part, I'm like, finally, like, man, like, like Buffy being like, you have no idea what a slayer is if you think that that can take me down. And I'm like, yes, like, finally, we've been missing this. Um, she's she, also like, she's kind of just saying, like, you guys are stupid. Like, yeah. Yeah. I deal with this kind of stuff daily. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I will say it is a bummer that we don't really actually get to see Buffy carry out her plan because I really wish we could have had a showdown between the two of them. We really were robbed of that. That would have been so, mm-hmm. so good because this is someone that Buffy looked up to. This is someone that Buffy had a lot of respect for. Um I don't know. It would have been really good. There actually was a whole other speech that they had written that um, they cut out. And it goes, slick trap you set for me. Sorry to disappoint you, but I killed your two pets. There's a couple of research grants down the drain. Oh, and about you trying to kill me. I'd say that's an issue you and I need to discuss. So get ready. I'll be paying you a visit real soon. Jeez. Could we have that instead of like like – Seven minutes of a sex montage, like you could shave that down. <laughs> a Give yeah, us let's up, up Buffy's monologue. I'll take that any day. It could For be real. like ten pages long, and I'd be like soaking it all in. Or just skip like forest lines in this episode. Just cut them all out, and then give them <laughs> more Buffy. This is a big moment for Riley too. I think it's often overshadowed by how amazing Buffy's moment is, but the fact that Riley – and it's very intentional too that he's in civilian clothes. And I mean we made fun of the fact that they kept changing their clothes. I think they intentionally had him change into his civilian clothes for this moment because the powerful imagery of him walking away from her in civilian clothes and not in his initiative gear tells us – everything we need to know for where Riley's head is at. And it also kind of shows the break that's happened um, in how he views authority and stuff. And I think I think we're going to see him um, wrestling with that because when you've been, I'm not going to say brainwashed, but when you've been told all your life that this is your mission, that this is what you're supposed to do, that this is the most important thing you can ever do, and by the person that like he had a close relationship with, um, this is going to be very hard for Riley. I know. And then freaking Maggie's like tenter tantrum as he's walking away. I was laughing. I was like, this is so <laughs> funny. Riley! It's like uh, the scene from um, uh, Hot Rod. Yeah, but I mean like it is, it is interesting. Like obviously we think of Adam – being created by Maggie, but I think the show is also trying to hint that Riley was also in some ways created by Maggie. Um, and I think it's not hard to see him being shaped as a weapon or as a monster, the same as as uh, Adam, like with the vitamins and stuff. And like, I am what they make me or I am. Yeah. His entire identity is wrapped up in his role at the initiative. Um, and that shows that Riley doesn't quite fit into society either. And he actually might relate more with Adam than we think. So it's going to be interesting. Finally, good grief. Or hopefully, I'm hoping it'll be interesting. <laughs> Back at Giles's house, they're kind of like asking Spike, like, why don't you just leave Sunnydale? And he's like, well, no, I'm not leaving until they get the chip out. And they're like, well, you're just going to go up to him and tell them, like, please get the chip out. Like, I miss mauling and killing people. He's like, do you think that would work? 
And Giles is like, Spike, Lord knows why I'm telling you this, but it's for your own good. He's like, why do I even care? He's bonded with him a bit. He's like, you should get out of town because you'll be safer. Like it's the team doesn't want him around, but they also understand that he's helpless. So they're kind of like in a pickle here. Well, and then Buffy comes in and is like, hey, it's not safe for all any of us here with the initiative here, which would be very scary. I'd be like, shoot, like, like you're coming in to tell us that. Like, I wonder what happened, you know? Like, especially since she was saying, like, oh, I'm all buddy buddy with the initiative at the beginning of the episode. I'd be very curious as to what happened. Well, dude, the last episode we saw that they literally have a key for every shop on Main Street. Which means, do they have the authority to go into people's homes too? Oh, for like, sure, and they have zero like issue doing so. Yeah, and then this is the end of the episode. Yeah, nothing else happens. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it fades to black here. Yeah, Maggie. We'll see the confrontation between her and Buffy next week, and Riley will get to have a moment <laughs> where he like gets to hash everything out with Maggie, and like we'll get to see Maggie her descent and her her ability to use her psychological warfare on everybody, and like it's just gonna be really compelling. No, you see this last scene, guys. Like this is one of those <laughs> moments that it's like embarrassing to show people. Oh my god, I'm sore. The show's good. It's just I can't. I, oh. It takes a hard right turn into uh, Sci-Fi Channel right here. Yeah. Sci-Fi CW is what this is. The fact that they had to convey all of Maggie's plans, all of her motivations, well, I mean, it really wasn't much, but everything into this final scene shows how poorly written Maggie was. Yep. To shove it down our throat. It's just lazy. Mm-hmm. They could have done so yeah. much more with her. Yep. Well, and they're yep. just like... It's it's giving like any one dimensional villain in like any sort of superhero movie before yeah. the nineties. Like it's giving like I loved like the Christopher Reeve like Superman movies growing up. I thought they were fun, but it's like they really didn't know how to have really good three dimensional scary, but also somewhat can be campy villains. Like yeah. at all before like the nineties. And even in the nineties, yeah. not as much sometimes. But like Lex Luthor and the Superman movies yeah. with Christopher Reeve is embarrassing. It's giving, it's giving the villain monologue yep. while the hero has the chance to slip up and, you know, knife him in the back or whatever. But I do think it's a little bit sinister. She says once she's gone, Riley will come around. He'll understand it was for the greater good. He'll see that. And if he doesn't, well. And then the script says she picks up a bone saw. I don't know what she picks up in the scene, but I think it's interesting. It's implied that if Riley doesn't cooperate, he's just going to become another, like he might actually be a part of Adam. Maybe she'll take one of his body parts or maybe she'll make him into his own monster just like she does with Adam. I kind of always took it as like she would make Riley her own Adam or she would take like Riley's brain or something and put it into Adam. Like something where she can still keep the essence of Riley because she was like about well, and then we're like, we're looking at Adam. We're like, did this guy used to be human? Was he someone like Riley? Like, yeah, we just don't know. And then he kills her. Dun, dun, dun. And he says nothing mummy. after that. Mummy. <laughs> oh, oh. Are you my mummy? Oh, I just <laughs> No, get, literally. I cannot. All right, guys. We did it. We made it through. One step closer. No, we we had a string of really, really great episodes. We had, you know, Hush and Pangs and Something Blue and all that other stuff. There's just this this chain of episodes right here is just not my favorite at all. Yep. 
but we will power through. We will make but it. But it just through. gets better from here, guys. We just have to make it through these episodes and we're back back on the good stuff. All right, guys. Thanks so much for listening. That was the Ion team. Definitely let us know your thoughts on everything. Do you guys like the death of Maggie Walsh? Do you think that was a big misstep for the show? Uh, do you think that it is compelling Riley's story where they're moving forward with it or where they potentially could? Uh, what do you guys think of Adam? What did you think of this moment? Like say the first time that you watched the show, was this a massive surprise to you or did you see it coming? I mean, who did see it coming? But you know, if you did, let me know. You can find us on Instagram, on TikTok, on Tumblr at Becoming Buffy Podcast, and you can email us at becomingbuffypodcast at gmail.com. As always, guys, thanks so much for listening, and we will see you next time.